Hello and welcome to the Life Without School podcast, here to help you and your children live the life you want to, not just the one you're told you should. I'm Izzy, a writer and unschooling dad from New Zealand. You can find more about me at startgravingdadblog.com, as well as collections of my favourite posts bundled up into supportive, encouraging little guidebooks for anyone walking this road less travelled. Thank you so much for tuning in to listen today. All right, let's get into this week's episode. Hello again. I hope you're well wherever you're tuning in from today. It's very late at night here in New Zealand. Uh, It must be close to midnight now. And I have rain falling on the roof and a fire crackling behind me. So hopefully the microphone can actually pick up some of the coziness I'm getting to experience while I sit here because it's quite lovely. For this episode, I want to dig into two of the biggest misconceptions about home education that I personally have experienced over the years that I've been an unschooling dad. Because despite it being a rapidly growing form of education, especially over the past year or so, homeschooling or unschooling, hack schooling, home education, world schooling, whatever your personal flavor or term happens to be, is still a widely misunderstood world. The reasons for choosing to opt out of school and the approaches home educating families take have broadened hugely over the years. How it's all viewed by the wider population, though, hasn't really kept pace with that. Common perception about what we're doing here is as narrow as it was 50 years ago. At best, this is causing some pretty awkward conversations in the playground. At worst, it's holding the world back from advancing how our children experience life. And that goes for their adulthood when they get there too. I've had many awkward conversations over the past few years. And people get stuck on a bunch of different things around home education. But I think the two perceptions that I'm going to talk through today have been the biggest. And perhaps they were true at one select point in history or for a period of time. Perhaps they're still true for a small segment of homeschoolers. But for the vast majority of home educating families in 2021, they're nothing more than misguided, misinformed, outdated opinions. And it's time those opinions were realigned. Okay, myth number one. Homeschooled children won't get the education they need for good jobs and careers as adults. It kind of makes sense on the surface, right? The idea of young Jimmy sitting at his kitchen table while his mum tries to muddle through teaching him calculus, which she failed at school, of course, doesn't fill any of us with much hope for his future. He'll fall behind where he should be in most subjects and have little chance of ever catching up. And you can forget about the idea of college or university. Sorry, Jimmy, we're making you completely unemployable. Except that lone figure sitting at the dining table while their parent tries to impart whatever knowledge they have and misses out whatever knowledge they don't, it just isn't how home education works. For most, the concept of the classroom is completely flipped. The parent doesn't deliver knowledge, they help facilitate the discovery of it. And in today's world, we can access so much more raw information than we could possibly even imagine. The child drives their own learning, and they draw from many, many different resources around them, both digital and from the real world. They're not told what to do, they're not told when to do it. The how is not prescribed. What they learn about is often up to them. 
And so the motivation to learn comes from an internal place. And that will always trump external drivers like rewards and punishments. But the main point here is that we have access to information. We don't need to go to a classroom to find out information anymore. There was a time where we did. And that time has long since passed. Home-educated children are learning. Don't worry. They have access to all the information they need. And they're going deep with their learning. I actually want to dedicate a whole podcast episode to this very thing at some point, the power of internally driven learning. So I won't go too deep into that right now. But I'm sure we can all agree before we move on that unlike 50 years ago, we no longer have to rely on a classroom and a teacher as our primary source of information. It is now unbelievably accessible. But even assuming that home education children can learn what they could have in school, we still have our main sticking point, which is the one I want to spend most of the time on. Because homeschooled kids can't just rock up to college or university and enroll like their schooled peers, can they? There are two points I want to talk about here. The first one is that homeschooled children can enroll at colleges and universities. And we need to get this clear right here, right now. Choosing to homeschool does not close college or university doors. It'll probably take more work to prepare their application, sure, but I'm yet to meet a homeschooler that's afraid of a little hard work for the right outcome. Harvard's a really great example of this. They don't evaluate homeschooled applications any differently to the ones coming out of public school. It's a level playing field. Those high school diplomas are far from make or break. The one main key to being selected by a college or university is being the kind of person they want. And if you are, you just have to show them that. It's really important to note that at a tertiary level, that university college level, learning switches quite drastically towards being self-led. It's quite a change from the school years, and often a home-educated child has spent way more time building that self-directed learning muscle. And for that reason, a lot of the top colleges and universities are now actually actively recruiting homeschoolers. There's even some research out there that's quite interesting. One study shows homeschoolers outperforming their school peers in entrance exams, completing their first year of study with higher average marks, and going on to graduate at a higher rate. Another study coming out of Australia showed a higher percentage of homeschoolers going on to tertiary study than the rest of the population. I'll link both of these pieces of research in the show notes, by the way, if you want to dig a little bit deeper. Now, Obviously, the research so far is light. We need more of it. But from what's out there so far, it's not painting a picture of underperformance. It's not painting a picture of a desperate disconnect in their education. These early studies are pointing to strong academic results achieved by motivated young adults who know how to learn and want to be there. I think the best way to illustrate this point is to tell some stories from people who did choose to be there who did choose to pursue higher education. I put a message out on Facebook and Instagram and a bunch of you responded and sent me these great little recordings telling your stories of going from home education to higher education. And I think it's important to remember that, of course, college or university is not the only path available to us. It is not the only road we have to take. And I'm going to talk more about that after we hear these stories because it's super important. But I think listening to these, it really does show you that living a life without school does not close higher education or technical qualification doors. Okay, 
top up your cup of coffee and have a listen to these. They're amazing. Hi, my name is Holly. I'm from the United States of America. Where we live, it is not at all difficult to go from homeschooling to applying for college. My mom just followed, I think we were in New York State at the time when I graduated high school. My mom followed the recommended uh, procedures for having our transcript ready. We chose to take the standardized tests every year. I think that was required. In some states, it's not required, but you can still do it. Um, And I took the SAT that year. So all of that could just transfer right over. I didn't even have to sit for a GED or anything like that. And um, most colleges, at least in America, are very excited to have homeschoolers come and study because and work as well. They have started to realize that homeschoolers tend to be self-starters. They're used to having to do the work themselves, not having someone force them to do it. So um, they're generally very excited for the students because of the high work ethic and Often homeschoolers have more of an interest in learning itself. So um, at least in our experience, it was not difficult whatsoever. My feelings around um, attending college were much more mixed. I think the process was a lot easier than my own emotions going into it because I was a homebody. I hadn't worked outside of the home at all. Um, And I chose a college that was states away from where we lived. So I was very nervous about going to college. Um, And it took me about half a semester of just being terrified and thinking I was going to fail and somehow break the rules and be kicked out and shame my family. Um, And then I realized, oh, I think I hit midterms. And I was like, oh, this is, if not easy, this is doable. I can do this. Um, And so then from there on, I... Really enjoyed my college experience. Hello, my name's Amy and I'm from Manchester in the UK. My mum actually decided to home educate before I was even born and therefore I've, I've actually never done a day of school in my life. Um, there was a great community of other home educated children in Manchester and I remember my childhood being very busy and full of lots of different people and experiences. When I began thinking about what I would like to do and and possibly study at college or university, my mum and I began discussing the best route to take. I knew that if I wanted to enter the education system for college, that I would need some qualifications to meet the entry requirements. So I took three GCSEs at home and at adult education evening classes. I wanted to take a BTEC in performing arts at college And although I didn't have the five required GCSEs, I was accepted onto the course as I was able to provide a portfolio of previous achievements and work I'd done in that area, such as my Lambda and Arts Award qualifications. In my first year of college, I also took two further GCSEs at evening classes to bring my total to five, as I knew that I would likely need these for university. I loved college and felt it was an easy transition from home education. I got on well with my teachers and other classmates. The only thing I remember finding strange was uh, people putting their hands up to ask if they could go to the toilet. I later went on to study at university at the age of 21. Uh, I studied creative expressive therapies and graduated with a first. Um, I only mention my grade not because I think that academic achievement is the most important thing, 
But I do think it's important to highlight if it's a worry for people that I never found it personally a struggle to transition into formal education and was able to achieve the high grades that I wanted. I'm proud that I've been able to take a slightly different route and still get the result I wanted. And I've always felt that I've been in control of my own future. Going to college and university were both mindful decisions. And because I'd chosen to be there and planned how to make that possible, I wanted to have the best experience and get the best result. I think my experience of not going to school has given me a unique perspective and outlook on life and helped me to see that there isn't just one path. If there's something you really want to do, there are many ways to get there and you can find the one that works best for you. Hi, I'm Raylene Simons. I live on the east coast of Australia and I completed an undergrad uh, double major in psychology and journalism and achieved a first class honours in organisational psychology after homeschooling for most of my primary and secondary education. The way I actually transitioned into formal university study was actually by returning to um, normal school for the final two years of my um, education, my secondary education. Um, that was incredibly difficult. I actually had a first go um, at year 11, which is the second last year of schooling in Australia, um, and I failed. I dropped out halfway through, um, and I had to come back and have another go at it, and I did manage to complete the grade 11 and 12. I found the structure in the school system to be appalling. Um, it really didn't work for me. But when I did actually get to university, and I did, I did succeed, I managed to make that work for me, and I did um, com- finish up in the top 10% of the state in the year I graduated from secondary, and I got into the place that I wanted at university, and when I got to university, I found that my homeschooling skills and the abilities that I had developed through homeschooling for you know most of my education really held me in great um, shape for that and allowed me to perform at a very high level. So, you know, VHAs and, and obviously first class honours. Um, and I was studying externally by the time I did my honours degree. Those skills that I learnt through homeschooling were absolutely what got me through university. Um, and, and because I have ADHD as well, I tend to think that if I'd done sort of normal school throughout most of my education, honestly, it probably would have crushed me long before I could have um, had the opportunity to shine at university. Uh, those two years of getting through grade 11 and 12 in order to get into university were incredibly difficult and, and certainly went towards crushing me before I managed to get there. Uh, would not recommend. Um, I think things have changed a little bit since um, I went through that process and it is easier now to um, be able to get into university directly off the back of homeschooling. Um, but yeah, the easiest process for me at the time was just to go back to formal schooling for those final two years and suck it up and get through it and um, and then apply through the standard process to get into university. Uh, but yeah, the skills amazing um, as a homeschooler and even now that that holds me in great stead I work um, I work for myself I have my own business and I work remotely um, with clients all over the world it, it has really homeschooling really set me up to be successful across university and into my working career provided that I stay away from structure so no schooling, no no boss, all of those things. Um, I am a freelance entrepreneur and um, absolutely love it. 
Morena, my name is Paula. Um, I was unschooled, had a lovely childhood on a farm, playing with my four siblings, putting on plays, all kinds of things. But I did um, decide when I, in my later teens I wanted to go to university. So um, my mum and dad and I looked around at the easiest pathway for me and that was to do a year of correspondence school to get seventh form, which is the last year of um, high school well, at that stage <laughs> in the early 2000s. Um, so I did correspondence correspondence school subjects with yeah which was really cool the year before I'd done a slightly formal program that we got from the states but apart from that that was my only formal education pre-university um so yeah got the bursary that I needed to for university um I actually applied for broadcasting school that year when I was 17 but they said you're too young come back when you're a year older and I think that was I was a pretty young 17 so that probably was the right call when I was 18 and um I worked on a me and my parents dairy farm to save up money and also went to high school for part of the day just to do fun subjects like art sport and recreation music and mainly to hang out with the local kids and go to parties to be honest <laughs> which was fun and by the end of that year I decided I didn't want to go to broadcasting school I actually wanted to do a bachelor of arts at the University of Auckland so I could study abroad which I ended up doing going to Stony Brook in the States and also to University of Bangalore from there um, so it was really cool and academically I found university really easy and that was because it was art subjects which I loved and was you know in my skill set and I was inter- um, because I was interested in them it, it worked well um, and also I noticed that I wasn't as burnt out as a lot of my peers who just didn't seem that motivated to study but for me it was more like the opposite it was more like just let me use that part of my my um me that I haven't used before so much <laughs> it's waiting there and ready so that was really cool um my sister did a similar thing but she did a year at high school to gain her seventh form qualification before going to university my three other siblings um worked um soon you know in their teen years they took work paths rather than university so they did what was right for them as well yeah I did put my degree to use, I guess, at some point. <laughs> I um, applied at 23 um, for a job as a public library manager and got that. So I'm sure my degree helped in that sense. And I just loved the university life and made really awesome friends. And I yeah, love, love learning. I guess I'm a lifelong learner, which I hope my children are. And I think that is the greatest gift unschooling can give you is a passion for education and also that self-motivation and agency to determine your own path. Cool. Kakite. Hi, my name's Larkin and I'm from the United States from Northwest Arkansas. And I was homeschooled kindergarten through 12th grade. My family did sort of a mix of unschooling and traditional homeschooling. We used curriculums for the basic subjects like reading, writing, and math. And then we did interest-based learning for pretty much everything else. When I was 14, my family learned of a concurrent credit program where I could take college classes at the local community college and gain college and high school credits at the same time. All they really required for this program was to take an AccuPlacer test, which is an exam just for the basic math and grammar skills. And they asked that we turn in a incomplete high school transcript. So we put together a transcript of the classes that I had already completed for high school and sent that in. At that point, they allowed me to start taking classes at the college. I took 
two to three classes per semester over the next few semesters. By that time, I had accumulated about half the credits necessary to graduate with a general associate's degree, and I decided that it was time to move on to full-time college. So for full-time college, all they required was that I turn in a completed high school transcript in which I included the classes that I had already taken at the community college. I also took the ACT test, which was really more to gain scholarships than it was to gain entry into college. The college was really great to work with through all of this. They accepted my at-home transcript without any issue, and I was able to move on to full-time college and finish my associate's degree by the time I turned 17. After getting my associate's degree, I applied and was accepted to a surgical technology program at the same college. I'm currently in that program and loving it. So this was my journey from homeschooling to college, and it's been a great one. I've loved it so much. I'm thankful for the homeschool education that I have, and I feel that it really set me up well for college. I hope this helps some people in their decision making, and thank you for listening to my story. How good were they? And the thing I love the most is that they're all completely different. And that's really the point. There is no one way globally to do this stuff. It's different based on where you live, but also on who you are and the journey you individually want to take. The school path is completely defined and laid out for you. If you want to go into higher education, you don't have to think about it. You just have to do what you're told and pass the tests you're asked to pass. But when you choose a path without school, it's up to you to take the wheel. Yes, that's a bit harder, but gosh, it's interesting. And gosh, it's intentional. Now, with all that said, and those amazing stories out there, I want to talk about my second point in relation to the career thing. That a degree or a qualification, that revered piece of paper, is not the free career ticket it used to be. Yes, you will need to train to become a teacher or lawyer. No, you will not be able to walk into an operating room and perform surgery without all the necessary training and qualifications. But the list of professions that require, as in really, really require, a degree is shortening. I can speak from significant personal experience here. I worked for a software company for almost eight years in a very senior role. I was hired with no qualifications, just the right kind of experience and the right kind of attitude. I joined that company when it was a team of five, and by the time I left, it was a team of 125 and growing rapidly. That company has a lot of people doing a lot of cool things. Developers, designers, product managers, marketers, writers, social media managers, analysts, testers, finance people, support people, salespeople. It's a hugely successful company with a fantastic culture, exactly the kind of place you'd want to work if you were into any of those areas. And the coolest thing is, I could pull out a star performer from any one of its teams in any one of those roles who was hired without the right qualification, without, in a lot of cases, any formal training at all in the position they applied for. What they would have had were skills that developed on their own steam, real-world experience that managed to build up, impressive personal portfolios of work that poured energy into, the right blend of confidence and humility, the ability to listen and learn, passion, enthusiasm. I was a hiring manager for most of the eight years I spent in that business, and I can tell you with complete honesty 
that the very last thing I ever looked at when an application hit my desk was the formal qualification section. It's just not as important in that kind of business as a lot of other things are. So here we are. We've heard it firsthand that if a homeschooler needs a qualification, they can put in the work, follow the steps, and go and get it. And from the research so far, they'll be just as successful in doing so, and possibly even more, as anyone coming out of the school system. But as we've also talked about, maybe, just maybe, they'll decide they didn't even need that piece of paper at all. Either way, it is a black and white fact that choosing to homeschool will categorically not hurt your future career prospects. And hey, it might even help. Okay, myth number two. Homeschooling my child will hurt their social development. This is actually probably the widest held perception of home education. And I think it starts with putting too much emphasis on the word home. Sure, lots of homeschooling families spend a lot of time at home. It's their home, that's what it's for. But most homeschooling families also spend a lot of time outside their home. They aren't locked inside the four walls of their house day in and day out. They can choose to leave. And when they do, this is the key, they're not just shifting to another room in another building like a classroom to spend the rest of the day. They're going to libraries, skate parks, swimming pools, markets, galleries, beaches, playgrounds, museums. They're at gymnastic halls, drama schools, karate dojos and dance classes. And in those places... They're interacting with interesting people. Librarians, gallery curators, museum staff, surfers, skaters, market stall owners, drama students, park rangers. There's actually research, and again I'll link to this in the show notes, that suggests home-educated children are more connected to the community around them than others. That they are more active participants in their local neighbourhoods in various ways, connecting with people of different ages and from different walks of life far more often that they take up more social and extracurricular activities each week, on average, than school children. And really, we probably don't need research to tell us that. It's kind of obvious because all those things are just part of life. Could anything possibly fit the definition of socialization better than that? I also think it's very important to look at this from a different angle. If we're concerned about a home-educated child's social development, Are we putting the same critical lens on the idea of school being the primary and best place for that development? Have we sat and observed those interactions and value exchanges that happen in classrooms and playgrounds and confidently decided they match the way we would like our child to develop socially? Are we ignoring the many, many stories of bullying, teenage mental health struggles and therapy adults go through just to help them unpack and process all that? Are we just hoping it'll be different for our children than what the statistics say it probably will be? To back up what I'm saying here, I want to present in a very short, clear, concise way these two models of social development. Model number one. Children are sorted into small groups. Their age and home address the primary selection criteria. Outside of a few exceptions, the children have no say in the group they're chosen for. The group is required to gather in the same room, or a small selection of rooms at the same time every weekday. The group is allowed outside the room they're in, but only at set times. During those times, they are encouraged to expend as much physical energy as possible to ensure focus for their next inside session, and they're also allowed to eat. 
Back in the room, the groups switch between independent and collaborative work, but they cannot choose what they work on or how they express their understanding of it. They are measured against a set of standards they played no part in defining, receiving marks that are benchmarked, often publicly, against the people around them. A small group of adults are spread throughout the rooms, responsible for the meeting of standards and the following of schedules and rules, whether the children agree with them or not. If a child can't meet those standards over a period of time, or breaks the rules of the group, for example, chooses to continue with outside time when the schedule states it's inside time, behavioural correction is applied. The other children in the group generally know when and why this has occurred and to who. The group will operate under these conditions for at least six hours a day for almost the entirety of their formative years. Model 2. Children spend their days between their home, their community and the world around them. They interact with people of different ages and varied backgrounds. They choose who they connect with most closely and why as they move through life. They decide what is meaningful to them and embrace how they most naturally express that to others. They are not benchmarked. They are not compared. Okay, now pause. Are we sure we're okay holding that first model up as the gold standard of social development? I sometimes wonder if the socialization argument is actually just a polite way of saying that homeschooled children are a bit weird. And if that's the case, I would wholeheartedly agree. I'd prefer the word different, but let's not split hairs. Think about it, really. How could someone who has experienced an entirely different version of life to you not seem different? It would be weird to expect the same result. Also, I challenge anyone who is afraid of differences in people to really reflect deeply on that. But regardless of what the underlying social point is, the idea of promoting 13 years of age-segmented classroom time that's routinely punctured by these manic releases of energy in small play areas as being the best form of social development for a child is honestly absurd. And the idea that being different is a bad thing? Well, that's just dangerous. While there are, of course, exceptions to any rule, it's pretty clear that these perceptions of home education are tired and outdated. They have not kept pace with a global home education movement that has rapidly grown and developed and continues to do so. If you believe either of these myths, I'm not expecting you to suddenly drop them and become a raving advocate for home education. But what I would ask is that you step back and look at all this objectively before you next throw one of those lines into a conversation. It's easy to reject the unknown by falling back on old arguments, but if you're going to continue holding a position, especially if you hold it firmly, you should at least make sure it's still a strong one. And if you're a home educating parent, and you've ever carried doubts in either of these areas, because trust me, I have, I hope this conversation today has calmed those feelings. I hope you feel reassured and confident and excited for the future of your children. If it has, then this podcast is doing everything I hoped it would. Thank you again for being here with me this week. And please keep leaving those amazing reviews if this podcast is touching your life. Okay, I'll see you back here soon. Bye for now.